way beyond that. So uh, over the last couple of weeks, we have been in uh, really a study of the book of Colossians. And so this is week three. And so I've been encouraging you every day to read Colossians like this week. It would have been Colossians two every day. And, uh, you know, and you may say, well, why should I read the same chapter of the Bible every day? Uh, number one is I think sometimes we need to slow down as we engage with God's word and to really process it. You know, uh, they say that we only retain about 30% of what we hear, which is great for somebody like me who's a communicator. And uh, that means I could preach the same thing for three weeks and then hopefully you'd catch it all. But, uh, but uh, you know, we don't retain a lot of information. And even that we read, that we hear, uh, our brain is constantly filtering out information. And so when we slow down and focus on something re- with repetition... We, our ability to retain the truths that are contained go way up. And so even though this book of, of the New Testament is only four chapters long, I've been encouraging you to slow down and to really, um, and this is what I would encourage you is that, yes, this was written to the Colossian people, but it was written to the church, which means it was written to us. And so you could say, well, this is the book of Colossians. Well, I could say this is the book to Life United. Because this is a book written for us and for our instruction and for our strength. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, kind of walking through. And, and so as I was reading through chapter three and even uh, me and Dara were having conversations this week. And she was like, how are you going to preach on chapter three in one service? And I was like, that's a great question because I could preach for a month on chapter three because there's a lot in chapter three. And um and, and so, but there are some things that I want to share with you. Really, I'm going to focus today. There's, I believe there's 25 verses in chapter three. We're going to cover verse one to verse 16. Cause I believe if you do verse one to verse 16, it takes care of 17 to 25. And, and so we'll walk through some things today with this, but let me give you a little bit of background. I've done this each week and I hope that you're getting something out of this. I don't typically re, uh, preach this way. Uh, as far as like scripture to scripture, uh, but I did feel impressed by the Lord uh, to do this. And so, uh, so I hope that you're getting something and receiving from th- something from the Lord through this time. Um, and, and so really this book, the context of it is that Paul is writing to a group of believers uh, in a particular city it was uh, Colossae and uh and so anyhow, so they was a, they had kind of a mixed bag when it came to religion. Uh, they had a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And it was all kind of intermingled. And so I believe what his desire was, was to give them kind of, um, to kind of clear the air, if you will, to simplify things and to say, Hey guys, this is what it's all about. And his conclusion, the overarching theme of the book of Colossians is that Jesus is over Everything. We were just singing that in that song. Is it, and it's actually a scripture in Colossians that says, from you are all things and to you are all things. You know, and this is actually a scripture here that you can find in, in this book. And so, you know, even as we're looking at these things and what happens, I shared this with you in the previous weeks, is that our, our faith can actually become contaminated with other beliefs. One week I actually gave you several things, several phrases that culturally we hear all the time. But the problem is they don't agree with the word of God. And we but we can buy into these things and they can actually affect the ability of the gospel to work at its full capacity in our life. And so I believe what Paul was doing was he was trying to remove these various influences and errors from their faith so that they could experience the full power of God. And and so uh, even as we've been 
looking over this, um, you know, I, I'm, I really hope that you're asking the Holy Spirit to give you clarity and wisdom from the Scriptures and how it applies to your life. Um, and so uh, much of chapter 3 is this, is Paul's comparison of two things. And so uh, it's really um, comparing an old life, or let me say it this way, life before Jesus, B.C. How many of y'all got a B.C. life? I hope you all do. And if not, we can help you with that today. Because you need a life before Jesus. And you need a, a, a life after Jesus. Like as in, this is what Jesus has done. And this is what Jesus has, has produced in my life. And so there ought to be a difference. There ought to be a, a moment that something happened in our hearts. That it, and it shifted. The Bible says that we come alive when we receive Jesus. Well, I don't know about you. But you ever like lost your breath? Like got that air knocked out of you? And you're trying to get that next breath? <laughs> You're like, if I, and then you finally get that. <gasps> That's what coming to Jesus should be like. It's like a, like a, a breath, like you've never had. And you're like, oh my gosh, like I can't explain it, but oh my goodness. <laughs> what was that? That's Jesus. It's this powerful moment. And, and so, uh, so I want to just dive in here to this. Uh, really here in, ch- in verse 1 of chapter 3. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Colossians 3. If you've got some notes or a pen, I might write some of this stuff down. Why? Because if you write some stuff down, you're more likely to remember it. And, uh, and that's important. And say, well, I don't have a pen or a piece of paper. You know the little card they were talking about, that little well, You can take that too and just jot down some notes and uh, take it with you. And I believe that as you take it in your Bible, as you're reading chapter 3 this week, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of some things and bring some things back. But here in verse 1 of Colossians 3, it says, Since you have been raised to new life in Christ... He says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your sights on the reality of heaven. He's saying, if you've come alive unto unto Jesus, if Jesus has now really come to impact your life, you need to change your focus. Change what you're looking at. Change what you're concerned about and where your mindset is all the time. And he says, so he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. He's like, well, how do I set my sights on heaven? He says and gives us the instructions. Think about the things of heaven and not about the things of earth. For you have died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now this doesn't mean that we are, let me say it this way. It doesn't mean that we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But the problem I believe is that many times we're too earthly minded and therefore we have no heavenly impact. We have no eternal impact. Why? Because all we're focusing on is right now, this week, this bill, this problem. And we're so focused on what's right here that we never stop and lift up our eyes to remember, I'm not, I don't have to fix all of this. I have a Savior who cares for me. And the realities of heaven say, I might be broke, but in Christ, I have everything that I need. That my needs are met not by my ability, but by His ability. That's Philippians 4, 19. Is it what? Is that God has everything and all the resources that I could need for everything that I have. And so why should I begin to stress out when I have a father who actually loves me, who is for me, who is on my side. And so when I begin to shift and I begin to think, hey, I'm not alone in this. Like by faith, I can access everything that Jesus has provided for me. And, I, and it really begins to shift in our thinking. And so... 
But when you really begin to think about it, and this would be my question for you, is where or what do you spend most of your mental energy at or in? Like, where's your focus? Where's your mindset most of the time? Because if we're normal, for the most part, we spend the vast majority of our life trying to figure out us. And what's going on with us and trying to figure out our problems. And yet the Bible gives us instructions here. says, hey, don't think about yourself too much. Now, you need to think about certain things like pay your bills on time. It's a good testimony as a Christian. Be on time. Show up when you say you're going to show up. I mean, these are natural things, but they're good habits for us to have as believers. Why? Because it affects our testimony. Right? But where are we spending all of our mental energy now, we have problems, we have jobs, we have things that we do, we have things that we have to focus on, we have families, we have kids, we have all these things that are happening, but how much time and energy and even focus in a day are we actually giving to heavenly realities? And you're like, what is that? that that's the truth in the scriptures that Jesus has already bought and paid for and made available for us. Those are heavenly realities. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's saying I'm changing the plane of which I'm looking at. I'm not looking at the natural realm. I'm going to begin to look to God's word. I'm going to begin to look and really focus on what God has for me. It doesn't mean that I'm just, you know, wherever. But many times I believe that we're just consumed by the day. We're consumed with an upcoming decision, our next trip, that problem that just keeps lingering, right? The list goes on and on and it just every day it seems to get complicated. I mean, life gets really complicated. And so it's important that we begin to really understand that Jesus did come, that God is on our side, that he is for us, that he actually wants to make a difference in our tomorrow and our Tuesday and our Wednesday. Jesus isn't only Lord over Sunday. Jesus is Lord over every day that ends in Y. In other words, there's not a day that goes by that he's not Lord. That he's not ready to work. That he's not ready to move on our behalf. And yet we can have a big part and in, in really in our experience. Let me say it this way. I've said this many, many times. Is that Jesus has already done everything he can do for us. That's why he said it is finished. It is complete. 100%. I've done everything that I can do. And yet we have a, a part to play in this. And, and so let me, I, I mentioned this this uh, last week or maybe the week before, but I, I want to just give you some good news. How many of you like good news? Everybody likes good news. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, I don't know if it was last week or in week one, I was talking about, you know, standing before the throne room, standing before God. Like one day we'll all stand before the Lord. And how many of you, you don't have to show me your hands, but some of you just got nervous. Because you thought, oh, geez, I don't know about that day. Well, let me help you just briefly. But I'm, and I'm going to give you a number of scriptures. We'll put them up on the screen for you. But what happens is that we can get nervous when we start thinking about standing before the Lord. But as believers, do you know that actually rewards are waiting for you? That it's not just correction. Like we have no reason to fear. The Bible actually talks about this is that we as believers, it's not judgment. It's approval day. And aren't you glad that it's not based on us? And so the reality is, though, and the scriptures talk about this, is that there is judgment for those who have refused to accept the sacrifice of Jesus. But as believers, the Bible says in that day that there are rewards. Let me give you, what did it got? 
four or five scriptures here for you. You can jot these down because I'm not going to preach them. It's Romans 3, 26 and 27. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Colossians 3, 24. So at the end of this chapter that we're studying today, it actually talks about this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. These all talk about why we should not be afraid when we think about standing before Jesus. And here's why. Because the scriptures tell us that all of God's judgment, all of God's anger was poured out on, uh, was poured out on Jesus so that it would not be applied to us. Jesus became our substitute. And this is important to know this. I have no, let me say this, we have no reason to be afraid of the presence of God. Not in the slightest. Jesus, the Bible says, has given us full access to God. And so, but there are some things though that uh, we need to really understand. And so the next few verses, we're going to pick up in verse 5 here of Colossians 3. And, and so Paul begins to write and he really begins to compare Two different mindsets, if you will. Two different natures is the way the Bible talks about it. But it's really two different mindsets, approaches to life that I believe that we need to understand if we're going to successfully, meaningfully experience the power of Christ in our everyday life. And so, but these are things that we can affect and that we influence. So Jesus has done everything he can do. Now we got to do our part. And so he says here in verse 5, He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with, and he starts naming, has a list of stuff. So he says, put some things to death. There are some things in all of us that need to die. There are some habits, some attitudes, some thought processes, some opinions of ourself. There are things on the inside that we need to what? We need to make sure that they die. Let me add to it. Sometimes we need to make sure they stay dead. My dad one time was talking to, uh, it was me and my, my family was all together. My dad was talking about, you know, oh, I'm a lot better than I used to be. And, you know, God's been good. And that old man is dead. And my sister made the comment. She said, yeah, but every now and then he pokes his head up and we got to. Chop it back down to remind him, don't go back to who you used to be. How many of you know that you have an ability to go back to your old self anytime you want? Just like that. And we can slip right back in. And yet the Bible tells us here is that we have to put to death and over. We got to deal with our stuff. You're like, well, you know, well, some of the things that the Bible say are sin, I kind of enjoy I like those things. Well, let me tell you what the, why the Bible says don't do these things. Because God is a good father. He's not trying to really keep anything from us, but he does understand the effects and the weights of sin and the, what it produces. The power of sin when we allow it to perpetuate in our life. He's not trying to withhold anything from us. He actually as a good father is wanting to protect us. And so the wisdom of scriptures here says put to death anything sinful. See Jesus paid the price for my sin but I have to make sure not to give it control. Because I can allow my issues to control me. You can allow 
the areas of your life that aren't maybe right where, where you feel like they should be, you can allow those things. You can actually become identified by those things. Well, this is just who I am. So the Bible's not true then. Because the Bible says that Jesus paid once and for all for all sin. So I have to do with this, what the wisdom of the scriptures is, is that I have to deal with my attitudes, my thoughts, my insecurities, all of these things that the enemy will try to come at me with. Why? Because he wants me to sin. Why? Because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10. 10. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. So let me share it. Let me just give you a thought here is that sin doesn't necessarily hurt God. Sometimes we can have the thought of, well, when I sin, it upsets God. How many of you know that God is not necessarily moved by what we do or what we don't do? But sin does affect us and it does hurt us and it does affect those around us. Now, I'm not saying that God wants us to just do anything and he doesn't care somehow that he's calloused or removed. That's not what I mean by that. But my failures don't change who he is. But it does change who I am. And it does affect me. And so Paul is talking here and he says, he, he, he talks about having to put to death these, these things that are lurking. I love the language here because it's pretty fitting. Put to death these things that are just lurking under the, under the surface. They're just kind of there, just waiting for an opportunity to pop themselves up at the most inopportune moment. That's the work of the enemy in our life. And so in verse 7, Paul picks up and he says, you used to do these things. Now, it's important. You used to. In other words, you did this back then. In my cultural growing up back in the day, I used to, right? So he says, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world. Now, I believe part of of many of our struggles as believers is this, is that we're trying to live a Christian life still living in an old world. We're, We're not called to live in two worlds. We are called to live in one world. And when we do that, and it doesn't mean that, again, I'm not saying that we separate from this life or somehow we're some weird zombie or some weird thing like that. But what I'm saying is that we need to focus our attention on what? The realities of heaven because there's power that produces in us when we focus on what the word of God has promised us. Jesus paid way too high of a price for us to ignore it. And we can get frustrated, we can, be, we can become discouraged because we wonder, because you hear somebody preach a message like this and you're like, yeah, but I just don't experience that. I'm telling you how. And it's not just going to happen in a moment necessarily. It does at times, but it doesn't always. Sometimes there's a process that has to happen that God is working with me to produce what he wants. So he says, don't, or he says, you used to do these things, verse 7, when your life was still a part of this world. He says, but now, everybody say, but now. But now. Anybody not know what now means? Now, right now, this second, don't wait. You know, like it's like I tell my kids. Delayed obedience is not obedience. We're working on my daughter with this right now. I didn't hear you. Yes, ma'am, you did. 
My son comes running like, you called? My daughter's like, you know, y'all don't know what the, none of y'all had kids like that, did y'all? Mm. If you had kids, you've seen the flesh nature on full display. Fine. Excuse me. Little Missy, come here. Let's fellowship for a moment. It says, but now. I need her to understand this, you know. But now is the time to get rid of. And he begins to list a bunch of stuff. And this is important. I'm going to read this. I'm going to continue this out of the Passion Translation. He says, but now, verse 8 and 9, it says, it's time to eliminate from your lives once and for all. And he begins to name a couple things. I wish there weren't lists in scriptures because they're never exhaustive, but it gives you an idea, right? It gives you a few things to look at. But he says, get rid of anger and fits of rage and all kinds of hatred. When I was studying this, I did think this was interesting too. In that hatred, one of the things that it, that, um, one of the commentaries that I was reading, it said self-hatred too. Let that sink in for a second. Why do we have a culture that is so insecure? Because they don't like themselves. Why do we deal with so much anxiety? There's a lot of self-hatred in our culture. Comparison produces self-hatred. And that's our culture in a nutshell. Is everything is compared. Well, this is okay, but it's not like that. Well, if I could just get this, and everything's compared. And so it produces this. And yet here it says, but now we got to eliminate some of this stuff. All forms of hatred, self-hatred, cursing and filthy speech. And you're like, well, what does that matter? Why does God care about what I say? Why does God care about what I say? Sometimes I just need to let it rip, take a chip. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're like, man, it just makes me feel better. Just because it makes you feel better does not mean it's good for you. I knew I would get a big response on that. See, self-control is a fruit. It's an evidence of the Spirit working in us. Here's why it matters. You're like, you know, well, if I just say a little lie here, if I drop a little cuss word here, if I just say a dirty joke every now and then, it don't really matter. Well, James 3 says it does. James 3 says this. It says, we all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. He says, yet if you're able to bridle the words that you say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. If you came to church for one thing, that could be it. If you can control what comes out the bucket of your mouth, you can control every part of your life. That's a powerful truth. Like, I don't know where to start. Right here. Like, man, I'm new to this Christian thing. I just don't know what to do. Because if I can control this, means when I want to say that, I don't. When I want to just explode, I don't. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of me that helps me regulate my soul and my emotions. 
You ever said something like, oh, I didn't mean to say that. What you're really saying is, I did not exercise self-control. I did not submit my frustration to the Holy Spirit to keep my mouth shut. I knew it was going to get real quiet. We'll move on. Back in verse 9 of Colossians 3, it says at the end, I thought it was really interesting the way the Passion said this. So it talks about getting rid of the, you know, different things of our, of our nature. It says, and lay aside your old Adam self with, with its masquerades and its disguise. That's your old nature. That's your, what the Bible talks about is your sin nature. We were all born into sin. The Bible says this many, many, many times. If you're curious, go read the book of Romans. It talks a lot about this. Paul talks a lot about this in the book of Romans. Is that we have a sin nature that we were born into, but we have been born again into a new nature. And Paul here is saying, hey man, I need you to, to shift. Let me give you this real quick. This is just an extra. I added this like 30 minutes before service started. Talking about our words. Why, does it, why do our words really matter? Is that right words create right thoughts. <clears throat> now the flip side of this is true as well. Wrong words create wrong thoughts. So this works in the positive and the negative. So right words create right thoughts. Right thoughts create right feelings. Right feelings create right actions. So if I want to change my actions, I need to start with my words. Let me give you an example of this. You got somebody that you're ready to just go off on? You ready to let somebody have it? Because you're fed up? What if you just change the way you viewed that person as, an, as opposed to an adversary as to somebody that God has brought into your life to minister to? What was the shift? Now it was an object of my frustration has now become an object that I love. Because God loves them, therefore I love them. And we're going to get into that here in a few minutes. But So here's in verse 10, so we're, we're verse 8, verse 9, he says, hey, that we're supposed to, you know, uh, <clears throat> so to make this shift, if you will, from this old way of thinking into this new way. And so how do we do this? In verse 10, he says, put on your new nature. Put it on. In other words, choose, make a decision, make a good decision. It says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn your creator and you become like him. Now, every one of you made some decisions this morning because I'm looking at you. You made a decision to put clothes on. Thank you. You made a decision. To put something on. And in the same way Paul is saying, you have to put this on. Well, how many of you know, and this is what I believe happens many times with us as believers. Is that we want to take this new life that is in Christ. And we want to try to do this. We want to say, well, I know who I am. Let me just put this on over it. Now, you can wear two jackets. I definitely do not want to wear two jackets. I am too hot natured for this. See, here's the problem with this. Number one, it's not comfortable. I can tell you that. 
it's already getting hot. But I'm not actually dealing with the problem. I just covered it. And we come to church and we throw on our Christian outfit. This is not what Paul was talking about when he said put on. When he said put on, what he's literally saying, take off an old nature. Now you can put on. In other words, I got to deal with that so that I can put on my new nature. And I believe that for far too long as believers in Christ, we have not taken off and dealt with the areas of the things in our life that we need to so that we can actually experience the goodness of God. So we have to, so we have to do this. And so just, and so what Paul is saying here literally is pick out the right outfit. We go and look at the weather to know what we need to wear, don't we? I mean, last night I pre-picked out my clothes. I typically don't do this, but I knew I was going to change. I was like, it's got to match. In case you didn't know, I do care about that. I don't want to look like a goofball and. You know, and so, but I predetermined my outfit today. Do you think it's possible in the same way to predetermine our attitudes? Like, can you predetermine how you're going to approach tomorrow? Because Paul says, I can put it on. Well, if I can put it on, I can also take it off. Because see, what happens is sometimes it's like, oh, I'm at church. Oh, we're going to work. Let's, uh... But see, to put this back on means I got to take this off. Right? According to what Paul is saying. And he said, no, 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 no. Put it on. Wear it. Pick your outfit. Dress accordingly. See, this is an everyday, every moment choice. We can't choose our circumstances, but we can choose the mindset that we approach them with. I can't change my circumstances all the time. But I can change how I view them. Is this an obstacle or is this an opportunity? Because sometimes the things that we say are obstacles. God is saying this is actually an opportunity that's going to mature you and grow you and develop you. Because you don't know what's coming and I'm trying to get you ready. And we're like, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. Maybe we need to stop asking God to fix the problem and say, God, why don't you change me instead of the problem? Because maybe I'm actually the problem. And we don't like that kind of prayer. So the choice is ours. Which nature do we choose? Our flesh falls to the old nature. The Bible actually calls it our lower nature. But our spirit man longs to put on the new nature, which the Bible says is a higher nature. It's better. And so we were born with with a sin nature. Our, Our spirits were dead. We were unresponsive to God. This is Ephesians 2, verse 3, verse 11 through 13. It's Romans 5, verse 12. It talks about this. We were born into this, but there is a new way of living. This is why Jesus said that it requires that we must be born again. Not just that I prayed a prayer. I've got to be born again. Nicodemus asked Jesus, says, what are you talking about? I'm going to go back into my mother. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're looking at this from a human perspective. 
And what he's trying to tell them is, hey, this is a spiritual reality. This is a reality of heaven. You've got to be born again of the spirit. In other words, your spirit man has to come alive unto God. Because being born into sin mean I was, meant I was born spiritually dead. And God is calling me and beckoning me and beckoning you to what? To a new life that is full of the spirit of God. But it requires that I am what? Born again. Born anew. I love that that word born again, it literally means to regenerate or to generate or create again. God is wanting to bring us back into a relationship with him. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove a heart of stone that is callous, that's hard, that's unresponsive to him. He says, and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. It's not a have to when the heart changes, it's a want to. See, we have to even view how we approach God differently. So going back to verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. And you're going to see where the clothing came in because there's a theme that happens here repeatedly throughout this chapter. He says, since God chose you to be his holy people that he loves, he says, you must clothe yourselves. Put it on. You determine, you choose which, which outfit you want to go with. You want to go with an old life, an old way of thinking that produces death and decay and want and lack? Or do you want to put on your new man that is renewed every day by the spirit of God that actually causes me to have victory in my life? Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. And we have peddled Jesus in the church like he's a genie in a bottle versus a savior who paid the price for my sins that I now get to, what, cooperate and enjoy. He's not my fix-all, but he is my savior. And we have approached even Jesus and the cross this way for far too long while ignoring some of the truths of scripture is that we actually have a part to play in our Christian experience. And we many times want to blame God about, well, why would God allow this to happen? And we completely absolve ourselves of our decisions. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. All of that sounds hard. Because it is. Clothe yourselves with tender mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. I love these scriptures. They're just amazing. Here's the thing though. None of us can do that by ourselves. It's impossible. So that requires the the help of the Holy Spirit. How do I get the help of the Holy Spirit? I keep putting on the right clothes. I clothe myself with what? The realities of heaven. I'm not perfect. Sometimes I I drop my coat and I come and grab my old one. And then I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Oh, no, I got to take that off. Let me get back where I need to be. Passion Translation says that we're to be gentle, humble, and unoffendable in our patience with others. 
take no offense. How in the world can I be unoffendable? I mean, we, we live in a culture that loves them some offense right now. I can't believe you would look at me like that. I'm offended. I didn't even look at you. What are you talking about? I can't believe you would say this. I can't believe you would do this. All these things. Because we can't agree to just disagree anymore. We just, no, we done. Cut you off. So how do we do this? How, how do we live in a way that we could actually be tender, which the key right there is actually tender hearted. Have a soft heart. Let me say it this way. As believers, we need to have thick skin and soft hearts. And the problem is that many of us as believers have become like the world that we're in that has really thin skin and really hard hearts. And the Bible says is that we need to be the opposite. Jesus had some thick skin. But he had a tender heart. A tender heart is responsive to God. And we just looked at it there in Ezekiel. God says, I'm going to put a new heart in you. One that's what? Not hard. I'm going to put a soft heart. One that's responsive to you. To the Lord. To the move of what God is doing. Verse 14. He goes on. He says, above all. In other words, this is how you do everything I just told you to do. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Clothe yourselves with love. That ought to be what? The, the thing that everything else comes from. If I choose to love people, I'm going to be tender with them. If I choose to, choose to love people, I'm going to be kind to them. If, if I choose to love people, I'm going to be gracious with my words. Doesn't mean that I'm not truthful with people. Because we ought to be honest and true with people. If somebody asks you a question, don't lie. But add some grace to your response. Like talk like you love them. That you care for them. The Holy Spirit will help you. To do, none of this is possible in ourself. We have to have the Holy Spirit to help us. The Passion Translation says this. Is that love becomes the mark of true maturity. So if you really want to get technical about it. Love is the standard. It, it is the, the grade that everybody gets measured against. How spiritual are you? How well do you love? That's the true standard. Not how many scriptures I can quote. Not how long I can pray. Not how many Bible verses I've read. How well do I love? That's the standard. Now I ought to read the Bible. And I ought to... Be able to pray. I ought to be like there. Yeah, but that's not the pro. Jesus loved. I'm to be like Jesus. You're to be like Jesus. Verse 15 says, picks up and he keeps going. He says, let your heart be always guided by the peace of the anointed one who called you to peace as part of his body and always be thankful. This is a hard chapter. It really is. Because this is so practical that it's irritating. Because there's not a lot of wiggle room. What nature am I putting on? That boss that I can't stand. Uh, it's Monday morning. We're going to slip this one on. Because 
I ain't putting up with it today. Apparently some of y'all know what I'm talking about there. And we can just slip into that. Forgetting that, hey, I have a new nature. And to love does not mean that I'm somebody's doormat. That's not at all. Love is not weakness. Love is actually strength. So I'm not talking about putting yourself in a bad situation. Like, love speaks the truth. But it is with grace. In the Greek here, this actually says, let peace be the umpire of your mind. That's what that verse literally means in the Greek. Do I have peace or do I not have peace? If, if, if I got peace, that's a green light to go. If I don't have peace, that's a red light to stop. I've had that happen in multiple situations, scenarios in my life where things are good. I've got peace. I've got peace. I've got peace. Maybe it's a decision. Maybe it's a purchase. Maybe it's a conversation. And then all of a sudden there's a red light. You've gone long enough. Stop right there. And sometimes I've blown through those red lights and there's a collision and I'm like, God, why did you? He's like, I told you to stop. I told you not to say that. I told you not to go there. You're right. So I got back into my old nature and I stopped guarding this many times. Man, so thankful I came to church today. Verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ live in you richly. I love this language. It's poetic, but it's beautiful too. Let the word of God live in you richly. Let me say it another way. Let the word of God live in you deeply. Move beyond the shallow waters of a Christian life and come out into the deeper waters. Let the word of God live in you deeply. Let it sink down on the inside of you. And it says that when that happens, say, well, how do I let the word of God live in me richly? Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive. It's active. It's living. It wants to work. It wants to move. It, it, it will work. It's a living thing that has influence over us. And so when I let it live richly in me, that it begins to flood me with all wisdom. It says apply the scriptures. Apply the scriptures like you apply paint on a wall. If you want to change the color on the wall, you got to get some paint and a brush and a roller. And you got to apply it because just because you bought the paint and you're like, man, it's the best paint ever. That's a beautiful color. You didn't buy the paint to leave it in the can. You bought the paint to put it on the wall. So get out of paint can Christianity. Start applying God's word. Stop stop uh, thinking in an old manner, an old way. Come over into what God's word instructs us. Why? Because there's wisdom and there's life, but it only happens when I begin to do something with the word of God. There is no part of us that is too broken that God's word cannot heal, that God cannot fix, that God cannot restore. There is not a situation too far gone. When I'm talking about that, I mean in you as an individual. God's word is powerful. It is creative. 
I mean, God created the universe with his words. And yet we have the words of God that we can declare and speak. And what happens when we begin to speak the word of God, faith begins to activate. We begin to believe God's word. And when our faith gets activated, we begin to believe God's word. All of a sudden, it begins to have influence and impact over us. And so I start to begin to see myself the way that God's word says about me. And I stop believing what I believe about me. And then what happens? I begin to rise above what I know I am. Why? Because I changed the way I thought. I came in line with the word of God. So he says, apply the scriptures as you teach and instruct one another. Get in a group. That's what it says right there. I know you don't. That's not in the Greek, but it's in there. (laughs) Apply the scriptures as you teach and instruct one another. A group is not there for you to come and listen to everybody else. It's for you to enter into the conversation. Instruct one another with psalms, with festive praises. The church ought not be quiet. It says, with prophetic songs given to you spontaneously by the Spirit. It says, so sing to God with all of your hearts. In verse 17, he says, remember, well this is my paraphrase. This isn't scriptures, but this is how I'm paraphrasing chapter, or verse 17. Remember that in everything you represent Christ. Everywhere that we go, every conversation that we have, we have a testimony. We have a witness. I don't want us to be hypocrites. I want us to be who we say that we really are. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but that's part of our testimony. I don't have to be perfect to be accepted. I don't have to be perfect to be loved. I don't have to be perfect to measure up. Jesus measured up because he knew I couldn't. Jesus, the Bible says, became of no reputation so that what I could have one with God. This is the beauty of the gospel. So here's my challenge to you today, this week, moving forward in your walk and your fellowship with the Lord. To make a choice to pick out a new outfit. Just like I chose to change my jacket i don't know if you did if you notice this no angel came and took this off of me this morning there was no supernatural moment the clothes just didn't fall to the ground and a new one just i had to make a decision and in many ways it's not that simple but in many ways it is let me say it this way. The start is that simple. It's that simple. Pick you a new outfit. Now every part of us is not bad. There are some areas of our life that we've gotten victory in. But this is what I know. We all have an area that we need to take that off. And we need to put this on. Now. Today. Pick out your new outfit. You know as I was thinking about this and. Just about these, this passage and, you know, when you put new clothes on, you know, you get a new pair of jeans. How many of you like new jeans? There's a couple people. I can't stand new jeans. They're like stiff. They're uncomfortable. They rub in the wrong place. They're not right. I mean, I'm one of those guys that's like, them jeans ain't dirty. They don't need to go to the washing machine. They feel just right. I'm like upset when I get them like dirty because I'm like, God, now I got to wash them. Then I'm not going to like them for a a day. And then it's like, all right, by the end of the day, I'm like, okay, you're back in the good graces. 
But no, you get a new pair of jeans and it feels odd and it feels stiff and just not comfortable. But if you keep wearing them and you keep washing them, they become your favorite pair of jeans. They become like, oh man, these are my favorite jeans. I always hate it when they do away with my favorite jeans. Because then I got to go like find a new one. It's like dating jeans or something. It's like, oh jeez. Why can't y'all had it so good? You went and ruined it. No, you got to get them broke in. And the same thing is true when I'm talking about this new nature. It's going to feel weird. Why? Because it's against the norm that you've been in your whole life. Of course it's going to feel strange. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Why? Because you'll get it broke in. It'll become normal to think about the realities of heaven. It won't be abnormal. It won't be, it won't be strange. It'll actually become like regular. This is be. It, it's a new normal. Right? I mean, I remember as a kid, man, I'd get new shoes and I would swear I could go run faster and jump higher. You actually can. When we're talking about the realities of what the scriptures, you actually can rise higher. All that immature junk that you usually get hung up by, just rise above it. That stuff that used to just irritate you, just... By the grace of God, you just rise up and you rise up and you rise up and you continue to. And all of a sudden you're going to look back and you're going to be like, man, I'm just not who I, who am I? I? I'm a new creation in Christ. I put on a new nature. I've stepped into the grace of God in my life. Man, that, that habit that I had that I just couldn't break. Man, it just, I don't, I don't know where it went, but it ain't around here. What happened to that? God's grace took it away. You didn't even know. You put on a new nature. You put on some new habits. You put on a new mentality. So just like it is with a new outfit, new clothes, new shoes, the same is true that the more that we walk in this new nature that Christ is the influence of, the more normal and natural it becomes. And it's true. The more we walk in the ways of Scripture, the more it just becomes like, oh, this is right. It becomes easier. That's why the Bible tells us to capture every thought. Why? Because here's the truth. Every thought that we have that exalts itself against the knowledge of Scripture, if we don't capture it, it captures us. And so every lie that comes, if we don't grab that thing and say, nope, that's not what the Word of God says... It's a seed that gets sown and that seed's going to grow. No, we got to capture it and say, nope, that's not what God's word says. You got to replace what the enemy says and what the enemy does and what the enemy wants you to believe about you. You have to replace it with God's word. That's how you walk in your new nature. This morning, I, I, I hope that you were challenged, but I also hope that you were encouraged today. I really do. I know it's a little harsh. It's a little heavy. I tried to make you laugh a little bit, Dare said I wasn't funny enough last week. She says it's not her, but I'm blaming her anyways. She has to forgive me, right? My goal is not to be funny, though. I do want to make you laugh. and I, I, But why? Because I want you to be able to take the, the message and receive it. Mary Poppins? A little bit of sugar helps the medicine go down. 
But I don't want you to miss the point. Put on. Put on a new nature. Like predetermine your outfit. Predetermine, man, I don't care what happens tomorrow, I'm going to walk in love. And when that moment comes, because the devil will make sure of it. Ooh, I already know what I would do. I already know what I would say. But I chose to walk in love today. Let me just have a prayer service right here. Lord, do not kill them so I don't. Amen. You know, sometimes you just got to pray honest prayers. Lord, help me. Help me. I need, I need your help. Holy Spirit, you're in me. I need some help. Because I, mm, I want to go put that back on. But Holy Spirit, if you help me, I know I can keep this on. See, it's a momentary decision. That we got to make. And if we keep doing that. And we keep doing that. And we keep doing that. It will produce in our life. Amen. Let me pray this morning. Father I thank you right now. Father I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Father I thank you that your word is alive. It's active. It's working. Father that it produces in us. Everything that Jesus has provided for us. So Father I thank you that right now. By the help of your Holy Spirit. Father, I ask your grace to come upon every one of us right now. That would equip us and enable us to live differently when we walk out these doors today. Father, we acknowledge that we can't do this by ourselves. That we're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. But Father, we desire to be people that would honor and glorify you. All the days of our life. And Father, we'll never get it perfect. But perfection's not the goal. Father, we want to learn how to be in relationship and cooperation with you. So that we can live in the power of the Spirit in our everyday life. So Father, I thank you right now for your equipping, for your ability, for your life flowing into every one of us. That tomorrow can be better than today. That next week we can be stronger and next month we can be uh, even better than where we are today. Father, that you're faithful to complete the work. You don't, you don't leave us half fixed. You don't leave us half broken. But Father, you're continually working, continually working, continually working, continually working to bring about your desire, your plans, and your purposes in our life. Father, I thank you.